Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. You're not going to want to miss this episode of The Real Bottom Line, where we are going to talk about hiring. We're going to talk about trust, how to scale your business. Our guest, Eldair Ahali, has grown his company over the last three years from zero to 50 employees. He also talked about taking calculated risks and the triangle assessment method that he uses to determine if the risk is worth it. It's a good episode, so enjoy. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. My guest today is Saheed Al Darahali. Welcome, Saeed. So happy you could be here today. Thanks, Wendy. Thank you for having me with you today. Uh, Saeed is the owner, founder, CEO of a really interesting software company uh, called SimpliCast. How did you end up owning a software company? Are you in computer science from your under, from your uh, training? How did this happen? Yeah, so uh, so I did a, a BSc in computer science, business administration, HR and economics, and an MBA in IT and finance at St. Mary's University, the best university in the world. And I've always dreamt about uh, becoming a CTO, not really a CEO, mm. which gives me the opportunity to develop and create technology that will make an impact in the world. So it's the development of the technology that kind of floats your boat. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you like about that? Um, I think it's just the, the concept of innovation, the area of supporting, uh, you know, human beings uh, do things better, uh, making an impact and delivering value. Do you think people are naturally innovative or do they have to learn how to be innovative? Um, I think it's a, it's a necessity as you see opportunity in an area where you want to make life better for yourself, mm -hmm. you want to make life better for your family, you make life better for society, and then eventually you want to make life better for the globe, right? So I think there's there's stages of being innovative. Um, you know, my, my wife was asking me to fix something with, with the closet yesterday, and I didn't really have all the, the required tools or the bracket that they have, and came up with a quick idea. It worked, and she said, hey, this is not moving, and it's working really well so she needed the closet fixed and I came up with a pretty quick innovative ideas to fix it and now I don't have to buy that part anymore. <laughs> How old is SimpliCast now? So SimpliCast is 11 years old. Wow congratulations that's amazing. It's almost a teen. It's almost a teen. It's a, <laughs> it's a tween. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sure. um, with regards to that you think about day one 11 years ago was it just yourself that started it and no, it was actually myself and another gentleman by the name of Josh Galloway. He was our the first employee, employee and employee number two, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, him and I basically built the company together. He left a couple of years after, mm -hmm. um, but uh, we've had many more, uh, you know, co-founders that have joined us that continue to be in the business today. Well, that's exciting. How many employees do you have now? So we have around fifty employees. Oh, cool. And um, what would you say has been how are you infusing? I want to stay on the innovative track for a second here. Sure. How do you 
What systems and processes have you put in place in Simply Cast to foster an innovative culture? Because it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think I think the biggest issue that entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, founders and CEOs have is micromanaging um, and micromanagement actually does not allow for innovation. So I learned that early on and uh, actually the first year where I started, to, uh, where I came up with the idea where um, we need to give up a quarter, every quarter, give up a responsibility that I had. Um, so for the last 11 years, I've been actually giving away my responsibilities in the company. Um, as the company grows, you know, for example, I was doing tech support, I was doing sales, I was doing some some development, I was doing support, I was doing QA, um, hardware, infrastructure, and so on. So as the company grew, I was able to give away part of the QA, part, part of support. And then eventually, you know, as of today, um, you know, I've pretty much given up 95% of the things that I used to do over the last 11 years and now I'm managing the organization and support business to from a strategic perspective rather than day-to-day -day, uh, perspective and if, if you have that mentality then you're going to be able to grow and support the people and that's why a lot of our people have stayed with us and we've had really sh small or low turnover at, at the company. And that is the word that I think that you haven't said but is inherent in what you've talked about is trust. Yes. So how are you, what do you do to make sure that the employees you're bringing on, uh, you can trust them? Yeah, so I actually, this this is something that developed in high school, you know, very, okay. very long time ago. And uh, it was a philosophical discussion that I had. I can't remember exactly if it was for, with a teacher or with, uh, you know, in uh, one of the uh, the courses that I was seeing. Um, but we came up with the idea that uh, you know, my friends would not trust anyone and they would give them zero trust as soon as they meet them. And I said, well, no, I was actually brought up to trust everybody that they're going to be very positive and they have, you know, uh, uh, a goodwill that they're bringing to the table. And I've carried that on, you know, pretty much with every single person that I've ever dealt with, including my coworkers uh, and my, my clients, where I give them 100% trust and they have to work hard to lose it. Gotcha. Um, well, have you been burned? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't remember any time where I was, okay. I was burned at least from a, from a worker for, uh, you know, employee perspective and coworkers, um, you know, because I think, you know, when you're giving hundred percent trust, the other person feels it and they almost, uh, you know, they feel that they shouldn't burn uh, the bridge or uh, cause harm for the relationship because, you know, when people are entering a relationship, they're not entering it for, for, you know, ill uh, causes in, the, in that case. And uh, I don't believe I remember any issue where I've actually lost trust over time. An employee would lose trust because they're not able to do the job. Right. And then we would have to part ways with them, but that's a normal course of action where, you know, the individual that's more of a bad hire on our part mm. rather than the employee was bringing the wrong skills to our company. I'm assuming you no longer do the interviewing and that's part of the 95% that's uh, been delegated. Oh no. Oh no, actually, no, I, I continue to do oh. interviewing in, in the company. That is one of the, the key things that I've started in the company um, yeah. and would not, would never give it up. Um, there's only there's two only two things that I uh, have to do in this organization until I no longer become the leader of it. Uh, number one is sales, and the, uh, sorry, number one is hiring good people, and number two is sales. Okay, okay, interesting. What is your favorite interview question that you think illuminates so much about a person? Uh, what they want to do when they were 15 years old. What their dream job when they were 15. Okay, That's tell a, me more. Give me an example you know, of one that was good and one that made you went, uh, I don't think so. Um, 
Uh, one was, uh, was, I think somebody said that they wanted to be an elephant, right? Somehow um, they figured out that they someday that they could become an elephant. And it was the, the whole concept of, you know, having uh, the opportunity to walk through the forest without having to, you know, uh, have anything obstruct your, your, your view or because you're high up there and you have the power to take down anything. Uh, another person said that they wanted that to- Is that good or bad you know, answer in your opinion? It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Just it, that person was more of a, a, a creative mindset. And yep. the question really focuses on what people wanted to do and what they've been able to achieve if that was their dream. And also their level of interest in, you know, in creative uh, awareness of themselves, uh, where somebody said, yeah, I wanted to become a police officer. Another person said, I wanted to become a hockey player. Uh, another person said, I wanted to become an astronaut. Um, now, a lot of the younger folks are saying, I want to become a YouTuber, um, you know, a TikToker. So I think as time kind of evolves, the, the, the dream jobs have changed. Mm. Um, and, you know, you see different people with different, you know, dreams when they were 15. And, you know, you know we've, we've uh, um, interviewed somebody that was 67 years old, for example, and we still ask them the same question that we would ask everybody. So I think the goal is to get to know the person. It's a personable question rather than the typical interview process that most employers do you know tell us about your strength and weaknesses tell us about this tell us about that and all you're trying to do is kind of fit them into a mold and what we want is we want the individual to join us to bring the goodness that they have in them into the organization so it's almost like um, the ability to critically think and, and express themselves is a, a really important thing for you guys. Yeah, and it's just, it's the way that they would genuinely answer the question, what okay. they wanted to do when they were fit, and, and that's key. And you could see them light up when they talk about it, okay. and that gives us that the genuine you know answer has come out, and they get excited, they laugh about it, they tell us a joke, and you know the you know we remove that level of anxiety from the interview process. Do you ask that question early on? Oh, absolutely. I, I asked the, the question is probably the number two question or sometimes the number one question. Oh, isn't that interesting? Um, I, I would imagine it's a hard question for someone to figure out how to game. You know, like if we think about our typical, uh, yes, I am too organized and too whatever. That's my weakness. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and most, most of the questions that we asked in our interview are very genuine, focused on the individual rather than focused on the job. And you know, a lot of people that I've hired, they said, you didn't ask us any questions about the job itself. You were focused too much on us. And, you know, I found that weird because I've never had an interview like that. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, it would be a little disconcerting. So you started SimplyCast 11 years ago. It's a tween. What was the pain or the gap in the market that you were hoping to address? Yeah, so it was a bit of a combination of, of companies and thoughts that I've had over the years. But the, the main kind of, you know, uh, trigger that allowed me to think that this is something that I want to do uh, when I grow up was the situation when I was in the Canadian Armed Forces. Mm -hmm. And we were the first uh, unit uh, on the ground to support the Swiss air crash uh, that happened in Peggy's Cove. And we were to secure the perimeter. And one of my sergeants at the time basically said, Said, I want you to call three other people and then let them call three other people to bring them out so we can get all the troops out. And I realized that the, the, the army didn't actually have access to technology to call out the troops on a on a dime, right? And uh, you know they're very much used to the tours, used to long-term plans, but not something that happens in an emergency where they need to broadcast and get the information out. So I kind of made it as my life mission that I want to create 
uh, a fully uh, automated uh, use case based engagement technology that allows you to do lead sales acceleration, allows you to do uh, support for emergency response, allows you to do marketing automation, allows you to do uh, engagement automation and communication automation. Our technology now is being used at universities, it's being used in hospitals, it's being used by uh, defense uh, organizations, it's being used by military family centers, it's being used by food banks, um, uh, you know, and you name it, you know, hotels, uh, grocery chains, um, and so on. And the versatility of our technology allows you to build these, what we call unlimited use cases. So mm -hmm. if you can imagine a use case where you want to turn off a light in your home, and let's say that light never comes back on, um, and you want to send a note to someone to say, this light is not back on, can you come and fix it? That whole use case of IoT, light, and messaging to create an order for somebody to come fix your your light in your home or in your, in your office or a long-term um, uh, care home, that whole process is just a single use case. Now you can take the podcast that we're on where you schedule the person, you email them, you send them a text message, you remind them. And that that's just another use case of, hey, you're, you're going to be a guest on my show. And here's all the steps that I want to take to remind that you're, we're going to have this call. Uh, you can take wealth management as, a, as an opportunity. And hey, you know, as the person ages, they might want to say, hey, we, you know, we just had a child. You might want to think about our ESPs, you know, and so on. So you can almost build a journey. Um, but the, we're the only company in the world that has allowed you to do emergency engagement, marketing, and communication in a single platform where majority of our uh, competition just focuses on one area. And that makes the technology, you know, very focused, but not versatile. And it costs a lot more money if you have all these use cases over time where we become the lowest, uh, you know, cost with the highest value uh, for, from a client perspective. Can you explain what a use case is, Saeed? Sure, yeah. So a use case is something that you know it's a, a predictable path of doing something. So for example, um, you've invited me as a guest. So yeah. the first thing that you need to do is, are you interested, Saeed, to come out as a guest on the show? And my answer is yes. Then the second piece is figuring out what time um, I'm going to be available. So based on your schedule and my schedule. So that's another part of the use case. The third is to confirm uh, that you're available and then reminders if there's a cancellation and so on. Now you can take that same method and apply it to a surgery, which we have done for the IWK, for example. Um, so pre-surgery, we want to send you all this information so you don't take medication 24 hours. You shouldn't uh, you know, drink water. You shouldn't have any food. You know, the normal things that you could do to ensure that this bed will not be empty, which would actually save a huge amount of money for the healthcare system because you know, one day I took my father for a, a, you know, a day surgery, but he took all of his medication and he had, he had breakfast that day. And when they asked him the question, he said, oh, I for, totally forgot. I didn't read the letter before. And yeah. guess what? That surgery is now gone. It probably cost 10,000 bucks for that surgery to get done in that day or whatever the cost of you know, operations, the people and so on. And that could have been just a simple call 48 hours before to tell yeah. my father that you shouldn't be doing these things 24 hours before and oh. could have cost the system. So, and the average is like 20 to 30% uh, miss rates, same thing with hair salons, same, same things with blood collections, and you name it. And it's a major problem uh, in the industry. And that's just a single use case that we can solve and, and save millions and billions of dollars over, over, you know, across multiple industries. Because when that capacity is gone, it's gone. It's, it's a, it's a finite resource. It's not something Correct. you reallocate. Yeah, dental clinics, massage therapists, you name it. It's just, it's endless. We have a philosophy of automate the predictable. Um, 
I, it feels like that's kind of what your offering does. Correct. And we, we're doing it across all industries and that kind of Maybe. changes the, the game, you know, as a, as a solution and it doesn't cost very much to do it. And the solution is very simple to use, but it, it can span any industry and any use case. I feel like uh, so many um, of these of softwares and things like that are so, so specific about who they serve, which has right. its pros, I guess, in one respect, but it also has right. its cons because I expect you actually learn so much from other industries that can be transplanted into other industries right. that never even thought of it. Correct, correct. Yeah, we're, help, we're currently helping a food bank, one of the largest food banks in the U.S., and it's part of the Feed America network. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to support them and use cases to deliver value to their clients across a very big state, as you can imagine. Yeah. And the use cases in the food bank industry are just so unique that 95% of our platform has already built it because we built the majority of the components in other industries and we're able to deploy this. But there's all these small things that only happen in certain industries that mm -hmm. as we continue to develop them, we're going to be able to expand the, the opportunity of use cases where the next client, it just becomes out of the box capability. Exactly. Um, question for you. You're in 175 countries. How did you do that? Like that's a strategy, was it a deliberate strategy? Was it more of a referral strategy? Um, how did you do that? Yeah, so being on the internet, anybody can sign up to the service. Um, yep. So we have customers in Taiwan, we have customers in Hong Kong, we have customers in Australia, we have customers in Singapore. And, you know, um, every day we get a different customer that finds a different type of service or a use case that they're trying to deploy. And uh, basically they come on the system, we support them. Uh, we actually had somebody that worked in uh, uh, South Korea for about three to four years where they were supporting the after hours support mm -hmm. of, our, of our customers. So it was more of a, you know, once you're on the internet, uh, the globe can actually come to you, but with a click of a button. So I, I love that part. And I feel like um, COVID in particular um, has really cemented the ability to, to do work remote, to do things remotely, because people are now very accustomed to a Zoom call or some sort of teleconference to conduct business. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Do you feel like your entire life is about reaching the pinnacle of business success? solid referrals, a steady stream of leads in the pipeline, profit year after year. But what's next for you? Are you going to keep working hard, hoping that the money will magically start multiplying in ways that you don't even know about now? Maybe you'll pick up an investment property or two to add to your portfolio. Can you even retire? Can you step back or step away or exit completely and not lose everything you've built? If you don't have the answers to these questions, you are not alone. This is exactly why I created the Total Wealth Accelerator, a program designed specifically to show you, the successful business owner, how to build your own private wealth portfolio. Because there's more to you than your business, and there should be more to your wealth than what you make from the business you've created. I want to show you how. Go to the Total Wealth Accelerator now to learn more. That's TotalWealthAccelerator.com. Speaking of COVID, let's talk about communication and uh, because that's essentially what you're doing, your communications company, if I'm saying it correctly. Um, how has communication evolved since you started Simply Cast? What happens, what's happening now during this really weird time? And what do you project in the future? Yeah, so 11 years ago, when I came up with the whole concept that we're, we're going to become the world's only all-in-one engagement, communication, marketing, and emergency re response system, um, the COVID 
basically solidified that that idea was the right path that we took mm -hmm. back in 2010 because everything that we did and everything that we created was useful in a pandemic it was useful pre-pandemic and will be useful post-pandemic uh, humans need to communicate regardless if it was physical or digitally mm -hmm. and we've created the means to allow all these capabilities to continue to flourish but we didn't actually have to do anything new when COVID hit because we were focused on those four areas of engagement, communication, marketing, and emergency, that we just only took components of the use cases that the world wanted. For example, contact tracing. In Nova Scotia, as you know, we had we basically worked with the, the province of Nova Scotia, along with the Restaurant Association, and we rolled out the 11011 code that before you enter a restaurant, uh, you can check into the restaurant, eliminated the paper and the writing down your name and your phone number and the privacy issues associated with it. Also supported public health and basically getting that list and doing the contact tracing and supporting, you know, uh, further spread within the specific, uh, you know, community that it happened in or the specific uh, uh, patrons that were attached to a specific restaurant. So uh, what did we do there? That technology was actually built in 2013 mm. for go time for Metransit that we built it to support the, you know, for you to figure out when the bus was coming via attaching it to a GPS. So the technology was built in 2013, but when COVID hit, I said, hey, let's take what we have done in that use case with Metro Transit and let's uh, you know, go ahead and apply it to COVID. Uh, they came to us that we won the contract Monday night. It was up and running Tuesday morning. The, we did the same thing in uh, uh, Bow Valley uh, College out, uh, out west where they wanted to do student uh, COVID uh, attestation. Uh, so we went out, they came to us on a Friday, they said we needed this, it was up and running on Monday. So pre-COVID, everything was ready. Uh, COVID hit, we were able to take the use cases and basically, you know, align them, configure them the way the client wants, and we were able to push them and that gave us the speed to market and the support. Um, a lot of customers didn't believe, you know, how fast we're able to move because we were, we were built with these concepts of, you know, we can do anything for you if you can come up with a use case in the area of marketing, we can do anything uh, that, that you want in the area of use case engagement, we can do anything in the area of use case communication, and we can do, do anything for you in the, in the area of use case agency response. It's it's almost like a cafeteria plan. I need this and this and this, and I pull it all together to get Correct. my end result. Correct. So Correct. Cool. Question for you. Um, eons ago, I don't know if you remember this, but we talked about work-life balance. Yes. What is your philosophy on that and how has it served you? Yeah, so my philosophy is it really comes down to the individual. The concept of work-life balance is a as a whole is basically something that somebody defines in the outer universe, right? Mm -hmm. If you if you wish somewhere on the internet, you could look up a dictionary and, and talk about what work-life balance is. But I don't truly believe in work-life balance from a definition of of um, you know of a dictionary. In my case, I you know have a very supportive f family. I have my father and my mother. I have you know four sisters, uh, only two in the city now and two outside the city. Um, so the support system within my family allowed me to actually focus more on work mm -hmm. less on 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 balance if you wish um, but if i was you know only with my you know, my wife and, and i only in in the city the amount of effort that i would have to balance would be much higher mm -hmm. um, and i think it's you have to look at your support mechanism you know, you have to look at your mental health mm -hmm. uh, you have to look at your your the your passion that you have um, people get burnt out because they're working very hard in an area that they just don't see true value for themselves where for me i see the work that i do is a hobby um, you know i used to work you know, probably 80, 90 hour weeks uh, in my days, where now I'm working 60 hour weeks. So I feel like I'm actually 
balancing my life a little more, but it's not because I want to, it's I think because I'm, I'm getting older and I have a lot more responsibility outside of, of work. And the next component is as the business grew, my vice presidents started taking more responsibility to help me at least become a little more focused on the areas that I need to focus on rather than just fight fires all the time. So, so I think it, it, you have to begin where 100% is work. And then over time, as you create the structure to support yourself and give up micromanagement as a, as a person, uh, because if you continue to micromanage, you'll never be able to do any work-life balance whatsoever. Um, so I think it's a, it's a mental state that you have to prepare yourself. And sometimes there's bridges that will just blow up where you need to go and rebuild that bridge. And that's going to take a week out of your life and you might have to drop everything to do it. But yep. that's just the price that you have to pay uh, regardless. It's similar to, you know, you get a you get a, a disease and you have to go to the hospital. You had nothing to do with that other than, you know, so, for some reason it hit you and you have to go to the hospital for for a week. Uh, that happened to my father. Uh, no, about almost a year and a half ago where he had to spend almost a, about a week and a half. And I took, you know, I was running between the hospital back and forth. And my, my family said, Said, are you, are you tired? I said, no, my father, I got to take care of him. Uh, this is all I care about right now. I'll make sure of it. I was, took my laptop with me. I worked, I did everything that I needed to do, but I just saw it as an opportunity of a challenge to, you know, to be with my father at that time, help him and make sure that he's well taken care of. But I didn't see it as, oh my God, my life is, is ruined because of this week and a half of, you know, unplanned, unexpected uh, situation that occurred. So, so I believe in doing what you believe in. So I, I, I see 80% work 20% life balance but I think that is you know slowly changing once I get to a certain age I think I'll probably be more 50 50 but mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know my 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 life work is very much a hobby I feel that if I stop working I wouldn't be able to live anywhere yeah you get your energy and your juice from that so it's interesting well I, I want to go back a little bit because uh, I feel one of the things you said is a very important lesson and you've said it twice now but the importance of not micromanaging because I, I truly believe you cannot scale a company if you're micromanaging. If you look back on the 11 years, what, if you could come up with two more key lessons that you'd say, if you do this, you're more likely to be able to scale, what would they be? Uh, basically higher right. Mm. And then the second is higher right. <laughs> well, that's cheating, Seed. <laughs> yes. So yeah. So hire right and then try and make sure that you trust them 100% when you hire them. Yeah. Right. We think, I think a lot of people, if they see a new employee coming in, having zero trust, then they have to build it. And that prolongs the onboarding process because you're trying to, you know, create bumps in the road where I give them 100% focus and I hire right the first time. You know, my hit rate early on was probably, you know, 50 to 60% right. Yeah. My hit right, my hit rate right now is probably 90 to 95% right. Uh, so we're, there's about a five to 10% uh, error rate. That's still, you know, where, mm -hmm. um, you know, it depends on the position. So, you know, for example, um, you know, in the area of technology, I think I probably have like a 98% hit rate where in the area of revenue, I'm still probably in the 90% range. And mm -hmm. that comes with time. And I think once you have about 20,000, 30,000 worth of hours hiring people, you'll start picking up, but there's always that one or two people that will sneak in, um, you know, even if you ask them all the right questions. Yeah. Cause they know all the right answers. Correct. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, you look back at yourself, your 11 year or younger self, <laughs> right? What is the one thing you wish you'd known then that you know now? The one thing that I would have known then that I would have known now, if you wish um, you knew then that, you know, now, um, I honestly don't have a, an answer to that question. Like, I don't know what I didn't know then almost everything that I did 
was kind of calculated risk. Mm. Um, and I made sure that the things that I wanted to do was what I wanted to do. Um, a lot of people told me not to do it and I still did it because I believed in what I was making a decision on. Mm -hmm. Um, um, so I don't, I can't, I don't really have an answer to that question. I don't remember anything that I okay. wanted to do that I didn't want to do um, that I would change, you know, uh, today. But I'm happy with all the decisions that I've made. I've made a lot of stupid decisions um, that I would probably want to go back and change. But I think if I made the, if I didn't make those stupid decisions, I wouldn't have learned what I've learned today. So I'm happy that I made them. I, I concur 100% on that. Right. The interesting phrase that you used there was calculated risk. Um, and so there's so much risk as an entrepreneur, as we build our businesses, it's like we're swimming in it. Tell me about the process you use mentally, if you can, on how you calculate risk and decide it's worth it. So I, I've been using this method since I was probably seven, 16, maybe 15, I think yeah. Yeah, 16. Um, and it's called the, the, the three, uh, you know, uh, it's basically a, the triangle method. Okay. Um, and it basically focuses on three areas. Uh, so if I'm working in my company, I would look uh, as my number one decision making process, will this help my customers? Okay. So that's the big C. Yep. Um, number two, will it serve my shareholders? Mm-hmm. And number three, will it help my employees? So any decision I want to make, when I wake up in the morning and somebody calls me up and says, Saeed, we need to make this decision, blah, 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 blah. And I would say, okay, so how is this going to help my customer? Okay, well, it's not helping my customers. So guess what? I'm not happy right now because I don't want to go to the next question. Right. So how can we change it to help my customer? And then my next question is, how is this going to help my shareholders? Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I'm not working for just my customers. I'm, I'm here to maximize shareholder value. Mm -hmm. How is this going to help my shareholders? And then number three, how is it going to help my employee? And the what's number one and what's number two, what's number three depends yeah, on the question. Um, okay. It really okay. comes down to, yeah. So for example, you know, we wanted to, to create a four-day work week. Mm -hmm. This was something that we wanted to create. We created actually four years ago, pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. pre yep. So my first question to my employees, I said, how does this make you feel as an employee? And it's like, oh, very happy. Four day work week, we still get paid the same amount of money and we, we, we love it. Like, and I said, okay, so how is this going to impact my customers? Well, there's, we're missing 20% of the work week now where we might not be able to deliver value the way the customer wants to be delivered um, from that perspective. And I need to come up with a model where we shift the 20% somehow without the customer ever feeling that they're not being mm. served properly. Yep. And then I looked at my, from a shareholder perspective, well, my shareholders are going to be happy because we're going to have more productive workers. Um, and my employees are going to be happy because my turnover will go down. So overall the shareholders are going to get maximized. But my biggest worry was how am I going to serve my customer? Because I'm going to lose 20% capacity during the week where I need to hire more people to support the customer. So we did a delayed, uh, you know, process where after you've been with the company for two years, you would be eligible for the four work dirt. Yeah. And that kind of created a bit of a, of a buffer for yeah. exactly. So those are the kind of the, the methodology that I use. Um, you know, the other day, I, you know, actually yesterday, um, I haven't had, you know, one of those very thick winter jackets, pretty much, you know, I've lived here for 30 years of my life and I've never bought one of those big, <laughs> thick jackets. And I was just out with my wife and, uh, you know, I walked into Tip Top and they had this really, really beautiful jacket. And I think it was like four or 500 bucks. Um, yeah. And it had like 80%, 75% discount on it. And I think it cost like 80 bucks at the end of the day. And I looked and I said, you know, I don't need this. Um, I don't want it, 
it's an impulse, but it's a good jacket that maybe if there's a big storm that I need, at least I have something. It's almost like insurance, yeah. um, but it was good price. I didn't need it, but I took it. So I used it and I, I actually used the triangle in front of the salesperson. And he looks at me, he goes, is this what you do every time you want to make a purchase? I said, yes, we'll do it. It's, it's an impulse buy. I don't need it. But it was good price that someday I'm going to probably need, you know, in a, in a freezing temperature, I might need to go out with a very thick jacket. And I said, this is a good, good purchase, at least with a good price for the quality that I'm getting at tip top. That's awesome. I sometimes with clothing, uh, break it down price per wear. Cause I have yes. some stuff that was expensive, but man, it's down to like so cheap based on the price per wear. <laughs> exactly. 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 Uh, Saeed, do you have anything that you would love to contribute to the entrepreneur audience that I haven't asked you? Um, I think, I think one of the key, key areas are actually, I'll, I'll talk about three areas. Number one is, um, um, we're discounting our youth and there's an area that every entrepreneur needs to commit to our society to support the next generation. And if there's one area that I want to, you know, broadcast to the, to, to your audiences, take the risk, support them because they are very productive. They can work really hard. They, all they need is just to be given a chance and an opportunity to be mentored. And I think we're, you know, we have a lot of workers out there that need the support, especially in, in the youth community, where mm-hmm. an unemployment rate is probably 12, 12 to 15%. And I would probably guess uh, underlying people that are not reporting that they're looking for work, it's probably up to 20%. Yeah. So, you know, so that's, that's a huge number uh, of our youth that are available for employment. And, you know, we're talking about shortage of work, but we're not willing to train. So my message to you is take the chance, invest in them. There's a lot of good programs that exist out there like ICTC. There's programs uh, with the province, with the grants that you can get for like hiring start programs, GTO mm-hmm. and so on. So take take some risk and support the next generation because I think that will pay huge dividends and you'll always you know, uh, think back and say, you know what, that person that became the, the prime minister of Canada was a person that I hired in my as an intern and I took the risk on, on that individual. Uh, the, second, the second thing is that businesses only fail when their founder uh, actually gives up on them. Um, and a lot of people think that, you know, the business failed because of a market condition or this and that, and that could happen. But 99% of the time, the reason why business fails is the entrepreneur has given up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, you know, even personally, I've thought about giving up a, about every business that I've ever owned. When you get to a point, you're going, I just don't know what the solution is. And then I go back and sit down and think about a, a, a different opportunity, different type of business that you can go into. And I've been doing that since I was 15 years old when I started my first business in candy, for example, where I said, you know, how do I increase revenue? And I said, you know what, I'll sell popcorn on top of it. Then I started making fudge and I said, you know, and so on and so forth. So you started adding, uh, you know, products and eventually that business became very successful. And, you know, we had 150 stores in the HRM that we were serving uh, by the age of 17. Right. Um, And so on and so forth. So these types of, you know, opportunities is that the brain always has capacity to do probably another 20 to 30 percent. If you're running, your brain tells you to shut down because it's worried about your body. But there's still another 20 to 30 percent more energy that your body can give. But our bodies want want to give up. Um, and the third thing is that, you know, um, I think there's a there's an opportunity for ESG, climate change and EDI, diversity and inclusion. Um, uh, so that's an area that every entrepreneur should put up on their radar now, because yeah. I think the world is changing. And if you don't get on that bus, um, your business will not survive. Um, and the reason for that is that, you know, we don't have the growth in population in North America. So we need to bring more people and they uh, and those people have to come either from other provinces to choose Nova Scotia as, as a home 
or you have to bring them from other jurisdictions around the world uh, to bring them to Nova Scotia so we can continue to have the quality of life that we have today. And really, uh, that, like you said, that's pretty much true across all of North America at this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Saeed, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Uh, so the real bottom line here is hire smart and give 100% trust. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.